while since I started an episode without saying so it's been a while how's everyone doing big ups for consistency hello hello beautiful people welcome to another episode of this is our podcast if you are new here hi hello welcome to our little corner of the interwebs I'm your host Domina and this is my podcast where our motto is to be unapologetically intentional in the spirit of being unapologetically intentional this is actually my second time recording this episode my first like recording i don't know what it was it was like somebody was chasing me because i swear i literally was talking at i don't know how fast but it was pretty yeah so i was like okay um maybe we do it again so this is take two please tell me if i'm the only one that this happens to you have a good day and then just at the end of the day something very minuscule that really isn't that deep irritates you and suddenly your mood is changed am i the only one it's possible that i'm just weird i'm just a weird person so this the story goes this way i have to set the stage so bear with me after work on wednesday i went to the mall to you know return some stuff and do some potential window shopping because that's always fun bought some stuff felt good about my purchases was really feeling myself and then when i was leaving the mall i remembered that i had wanted to change my screen protector so i stopped at the dollar store and i bought a screen protector left the store got home sat down to change over the screen protectors took off my old one and prepped my screen to put on the new one and lo and behold it was too big i don't know how but i had managed to buy the protector for the wrong phone and you're probably listening to this and thinking oh man it's not that deep and honestly, I agree with you. But for some reason, my brain does not share the same sentiment. I was so upset because now my old one was all broken and the new one was too big. And to be honest with you, logically, it didn't make any sense why I was so upset. It was only $6. And I said, it's not that deep. And it's interesting how the brain works, though, because I realized that this simple story is, in fact, related to what I was talking about last episode in this my pursuit for perfection and the illusion of what that looks like this idea that a mistake made is actually a ding to my person and my worth as an individual again quite illogical but that's just how my brain works so I sat there irritated and frustrated and I realized that and the thing is older minor you know I'm a new person now would have sat there in that irritation and frustration and it would have ruined the rest of my night but I, you know, I'm I'm determined to do better. So I realized that I had to do something with my emotions and everything I was feeling. So I started to type, and that was what became the beginning of this episode. And the thing is, I don't know what it is about my past and my life that has gotten me to this place where the external dictates my internal, and where my feelings and emotions can be so easily swayed by little things like this little mistake and other things like productivity in the end like most people i beg i'm a work in progress and i believe strongly believe that self-awareness is the first stage in tackling any issues one might have so this is my beginning stage i'm now self-aware so with god anything is possible honestly after typing i thought i felt a lot better so Thank you for being my very own therapy session, even though it's literally just me in my room talking to a microphone. So today's episode is titled, I Feel Fat. And the title and the subject matter were inspired by a training that I was lucky enough to do this past week. Shout out to my directors and my bosses for 
being the best and always fostering professional developments in the workplace. But as usual, before we get into the episode, it's time for Gratitude Corner. For those who are new, as the name implies, this is the segment in the episode where I share what I'm grateful for. I'm grateful for the ability to pamper myself. I've been a student for some time, six years to be exact, and for anyone out there who's currently a student or who can relate back to a time when you were a student, you know that we're just working that minimum wage part-time job, budgeting the allowance your parents send you and just trying to, you know, live life. You aren't really treating yourself most times or pampering yourself because let's be honest, there are no funds for that. It's interesting the way our mindsets change based on the context of our environment and the stage of life we are in. So, as I said, I've been a student for a while. I recently graduated though and I'm blessed enough to have a full-time job and I'm fortunate and privileged enough to be able to pay my bills, save some and have some money left over. I've always been pretty responsible with money. I don't spend more than I have and it's just the way I was brought up. Shout out to my mom. It's the standard in which I live my life. You're probably wondering, where is Omana going with this? Don't worry, let me land. I was talking to a friend the other day, actually the day of the aforementioned screen protector incident. I just got back from the mall and I was explaining to her how I had had an, an epiphany while at the mall. You see, over the past few months, I've finally given myself, in theory, permission to pamper myself within reason. I get my nails done, I go thrifting when I want to, and if I see a pair of shoes I like, I, I buy them. What I found was at the beginning, I was always having to justify my pur- purchases and my spending. I was feeling guilty, saying things to myself like, you should save that money, Omana, you are wasting too much. And I was wondering why I wasn't giving myself permission to enjoy the money that I worked hard for. Because it wasn't like I was out here blowing all my money, buying Gucci, Prada and whatever. And I work for a non-profit, so it's not like I'm rolling in money. But I work really hard for the money that I have. But still, I couldn't justify spending it on myself on things that I didn't deem as essential. And by the way, by essential, I just mean bills. Maybe because I, I'm still in that student mentality. But to be fair, by this point, I, I had stopped psychoanalyzing myself. So I just left it. I just freed it. But back to the original statement. Today, I'm grateful that I can pamper myself. And today, I'm also committed to allowing myself enjoy the fruits of my labor, as they say. I'm grateful for Mo. Mo is the name of my car. Full name, Moronto Du, named by my best friend, Simi. I got Mo about four months ago, and I cannot tell you what a difference she has brought to my life, just in terms of my quality of life. I have the ability to live my life in a way that I just couldn't without a car, especially in a place like Kelowna, where the transit system has a lot of room for improvement. So thank you, Mo. And shout out to Liz, a dear friend who supported me in the process of getting Mo. And yes, I named my car. Deal with it. I'm grateful for my job. It's weird. Over the past couple of weeks, I found myself, um, when I'm talking to my friends, just reflecting on lockdown and what that's been like since the onset of the pandemic. And I mean, most people have an experience of lockdown and always stay at home order. But my pandemic experience has been completely different from most people I know. For two main reasons, one of which is where I live. And I know, I know, I know, I have said multiple times on this podcast how I feel about Kelowna. But this is another one of those times where I'm actually very grateful for Kelowna. We actually have never been on an official lockdown, at least not like we've seen in other places around the world and even here in Canada and places like Toronto and Quebec. The second reason is 
part is mainly because of my job. I guess you could say my work is classified as quote-unquote essential. If you are new here, I work at a recovery house for women with experiences of addiction and it's a residential facility. So the women, they live there, meaning that we never closed and I've been going to work since the onset of the pandemic. And I'm so grateful and blessed to have somewhere to go and I understand the privilege of that because actually, to be fair, I've worked more during the pandemic that I probably ever have in my life. And we've all heard, and most of the folks listening to this have experienced the loneliness and the isolation of a lockdown and or a stay-at-home order. And I really do understand the privilege I have in being able to go to work every day to co-workers that I care for and I know care for me. And I started writing down this gratitude for a completely different reason that I'm giving. Because to be honest, I'm grateful for my job for a multitude of reasons. But for today, the reason I'm highlighting is the blessing of having a work culture that fosters positivity. The knowledge that I don't have to create a facade of being okay all the time, even when I'm at work, is a privilege that I never want to take for granted. And on top of all of that, being a black social worker existing in a predominantly white space, if if you do any kind of work and you are a POC existing in a predominantly white space, I don't have to tell you of just how important a work culture is that is accepting of who you are and being able to go to work and not have my blackness be the center of my identity is something that I can't even explain to you how privileged I feel to have that so shout out to all my co-workers folks who have become my corona family what are some things you're grateful for send me a dm I'd love to hear them So as I said, this week's episode is inspired by a training I did over the last week. The training was titled Eating Disorders, From Image to Illness. Unfortunately, throughout my time in grad school, eating disorders was never a topic that was largely discussed. I vaguely remember hearing the words anorexia and bulimia in my mental health class, but it was in the context of the DSM, which is the Diagnostics and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. And we talked about these disorders mainly in terms of their diagnostic criteria and of course I've heard about these disorders before but I've just never been very familiar with them. Fast forward to almost two years working in the field of addiction and I have been confronted with the reality of the intimate relationship between a history of addiction and a diagnosis of an eating disorder or an experience of eating disorder symptoms. And I mean, logically, it makes sense, I guess. They both involve obsessive and compulsive tendencies. So when the possibility of doing this training came up, I jumped at the opportunity to learn more on a subject matter that I felt was an intricate part of the work that I do. What would shock me, though, post the training was how much I would learn about myself. And honestly, you'd think by now I I wouldn't be shocked because... Over the past year and some change, just by existing in the workplace that I exist in, facilitating group discussions and having having one-on-one interactions with the women that I work with, I've learned so much about myself, I can't even tell you. Anyway, I learned so much about myself in this training and I really needed an outlet to discuss, share and vent on my thoughts. So here I am. A little side note, Anybody that knows me knows that I'm not a morning person. It's just not in me. Somehow, over the past four months, I've managed to wake up every morning and get to work on time, which in and of itself is a miracle. The training was set to start at 9 a.m., which, I mean, again, the idea that I actually now work a 9 to 5 is hilarious when you when I think of who I was before. And again, I'm not, I recognize the privilege of having somewhere to go to every day, 
but I'm just saying I'm not a morning person. But you won't even imagine that actually the start time was central time and the training was because the training was being hosted in Manitoba, Winnipeg. Something I didn't realize until after I got the confirmation for my registration for the course. For those that are not familiar, which I guess is anyone who doesn't live in Canada, Kelowna is Pacific Standard Time, which is two hours behind Central Time. So 9 a.m. Central Time is actually 7 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. So folks, me, Amina, I woke up at 5 a.m. I go to work at 6.15 a.m. It was so dark outside. Even myself, I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. And what's worse, really, is that I'm currently not allowed to have any caffeine. So no coffee for me. I had to drink a chai tea latte and pray to God that it would give me some kind of energy to stay awake for the full day. Anyway, I think that this strongly shows my dedication to my craft. But it was worth it, Shai. I can't even lie. So I'm going to be sharing the five key takeaways from the training. Now to avoid, you know, copyrights or anything like that, um, these five takeaways are based solely on my thoughts surrounding the training. You know, my relationship with food and with my weight specifically has always been an interesting one. I was a chubby kid and I had chubby cheeks, which everyone around me always needed to point out. Like, we weren't all aware of them. I mean, I always had them. They were there. And if you had chubby cheeks growing up, you know the pinching and the comments. It was much. Then I went to boarding school and anyone listening to this that went to boarding school should understand the struggle. And anyone that went to Adesu College of I mean, I don't even have to explain to you what a ghetto that was. Honestly, at some point, I will do an episode on my boarding school experience, probably with my friends, though, because I can't dive into that kind of trauma by myself. Anyway, I went to boarding school and obviously I lost all the weight and I came back basically half of what I went in as long necks, skinny arms and legs, the whole nine. You get the picture. And I stayed that way for the six years that I was in boarding school. I graduated and I was home for about four months before I moved to the States for uni. And I would say I gained some of the weight back. Um, most of the way back, actually. I, obviously, I wasn't the same weight I was when I went into boarding school because at that time I was 10. And at the point of this story, we're telling I'm now 16. But I wouldn't say I was quote-unquote fat. And we will talk more about how I feel about that word later. So at 17, I packed my bags and I moved to Baltimore, Maryland. And if you went to school in the States, you've probably heard about the freshman 15. Post my first semester... Based solely on my family's reaction to my alleged weight gain, I was so sure that I had become a victim of the notorious freshman 15. Looking back now, I'm actually not sure if I had actually gained that much weight. Anyway, I remember that summer I went to the gym every day for like a month and I lost weight. And I've stayed relatively the same weight since then. The thing about weight though, especially in a Nigerian household I find is, the jokes, the comments, all of that are all supposed to, have, are all supposed to be taken as well-intentioned. And you know... Maybe they are. But the devastating effects of these jokes and comments are not talked about nearly enough. The the insecurities they build and the self-hate that can form from these harmless comments to exercise more and the instant recognition of your chubby cheeks while on FaceTime and video chat. I mean, let's not even talk about what happened when I went home for the first time after my freshman year of uni. So I've never really been a a gym goer or even an quote-unquote active person at least by the conventional definition that most people would give when I moved to Kelowna ironically my friend group consisted of individuals who were very focused on healthy eating and exercise and at first it was something I admired and I don't get me wrong I still admired the discipline that is required to maintain that kind of lifestyle 
But what I didn't realize though was slowly but surely I started to again resent my body. Not because I had gained any weight, but purely based on the fact that I wasn't doing the things they were doing and not gaining the same results. I mean, it's the age-old story of comparisons and insecurities. I would love to say that social media didn't exacerbate this, but we all know that would be a lie. Despite that though, I found myself, you know, I was having an internal battle. On the one hand, I had all these thoughts, these insecurities that plagued my mind. But on the other hand, I'd found a love of fashion. And by that, I simply mean I found that I loved dressing up. There was something that happened when I put on put an outfit together. It made me feel empowered. So I did it more and more. And I found that when I did that, even if it was just for those two hours at dinner, I wasn't plagued by those insecurities. What I found interesting was, well, prior to this, I always felt the pressure to exercise more and to eat more healthily. It was almost like at this point in my life, I was rebelling against the idea that I had to do these things. It sounds weird because it wasn't like I was just living this sedentary life and eating absolute junk all the time. I was walking everywhere and taking the bus and I cook all my meals. So it really, it really wasn't that deep. But I guess somewhere in my mind, I didn't want to exercise and eat healthier, quote unquote. And by that, I simply just mean no junk food or a like a reduced amount of junk food because my friends were doing it. I'm the kind of person, and honestly, thinking, looking back at it now, and when I was kind of reflecting on this for this episode, it sounds so weird, but I guess I'm the kind of person that I just, I didn't want to do it because I wasn't there yet, and when I'm not in, like, when I'm not, when I don't feel that I want to do something, I have a very hard time doing it for doing sake. Fast forward another almost three years, and now I wouldn't see him an active person whatever that really means but I'm trying to remain active like I said I had some goals that set for January and a few of them revolved around moving more and I'm proud to say I actually accomplished them and I'm sharing this I guess because I want you to kind of understand where my head was at when I participated in this training my relationship with food and exercise and healthy living, quote-unquote, has always been an interesting one, like I said, and I think everyone can relate to having, you know, a roller coaster relationship with food and, you know, what that, the emotions that that brings up for them. So let's get down to the thoughts. And again, like I said, these thoughts are not focused on eating disorder disorders themselves, but rather on our relationship with food and what that means. So the first one is language is important, not just in this case, but in general. I don't think as a society we talk enough about how important language is, good versus bad, healthy versus unhealthy. We live in a world of absolutes and it extends to every area of our lives. We see things as black and white when really and truly the nuances of the gray are so important. And I mean, through no fault of our own, it's just the way we were taught, the importance of language and the way we use it and how words further perpetuate certain narratives and emotions is a very new notion for me for example healthy versus unhealthy if you eat healthy food then are you a healthy person and if you eat unhealthy food then are you an unhealthy person and I know it's not that simple nothing in life really is but how about we talk about the feelings behind these words because they also are not very simple. The shame that may come from eating that dessert when you quote-unquote shouldn't. But who says you shouldn't? In a group discussion during the training, someone spoke on the importance of making food less about health markers and more about how we feel. So for example, 
I had too much popcorn the other day. And at first, I felt the shame that a lot of people can relate to of having too much junk food. But then I stopped and processed how, how I felt physically. And physically, I felt like I had had too much sugar. And I didn't like how I felt physically. So next time, when I have popcorn, I'm going to have less. Not because of the shame of having junk food, because I'm always still going to have the popcorn, but because I paid attention to how my body felt. So moving it from the mental arena to the physical. And again, easier said than done, I know. But you get where I'm going with this. Think of the word exercise. For a lot of people, myself included, it can be a trigger word, just the pressure to excel in it and see the results. The number of calories, the numbers on the scale. I mean, think of, you know, what you see when you scroll through Instagram. The numbers begin to carry way too much weight and we've become obsessed with numbers in the world we live in. Likes, followers, things like that. And it's not very different when it comes to weight. I mean, think of how you feel when you step on a scale. Instead, what if we use the word movement? And this is not my idea and I can't take credit for it. It's just something that I heard during a talk um, I sat in on that was given by a kinesiologist instead of saying exercise more what if we said move more i personally believe it takes away the pressure of it i also think it extends the possibilities when we hear the word exercise we immediately think of certain things the gym running you know stepping on the scale things like that but when we say move more i think it really does increase the possibilities now we can talk about taking walks biking dancing it really could be anything And I think that in itself is a very liberating feeling. As a society in general, not just in the context of food, we need to pay attention to the language we use, the effects of the language and the narratives that these words and statements perpetuate. Two, a balanced and flexible relationship with food. I think one of the most important themes for me was the notion of a relationship with food because I can tell you that I never really thought about it like that for whatever reason. So the goal is a sustainable, balanced lifestyle in which food is enjoyed. It's only that. So simple. I don't know about you folks, but that seems like such a hefty goal. I mean, in the era of all kinds of diets, think keto, Atkins, Weight Watchers, insert whatever that comes to mind. How does one create a sustainable relationship with food? And to be honest, I don't know the answer. And I won't even pretend that a one day training gave me the answer. What I can say is it gave me some helpful tips I can implement in my life. Firstly, I think it's about reintroducing choice into our lives. A lot of times we find ourselves having to do things in the name of living a healthy lifestyle. I have to insert whatever. Gym, eat vegetables, exercise, eat foods. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do these things. But for me, when I think of things I have to do, it's not a pleasant feeling. I mean... I have to pay my taxes. I have to pay my rent. I mean, normal adulting stuff. And let's be honest, I don't have to do these things, but I think you get my point. So in areas of my life, like my health and how I live my day and my daily routine, I want to focus on my right to choose. And it definitely is a hard perspective shift from feeling like you have to do something to choosing to do it. But I think there's a joy in choosing something that is missing with the obligation of having to do it. Does that make sense? Like, in my pursuit of a balanced relationship with food, I look forward to the choice. We don't have to deprive ourselves of things we want. If I want ice cream, I'm going to have ice cream. Because the thing about diets, again, I find is they're not sustainable. How could they be when you are actively depriving yourselves of the things that you would otherwise want? Please, though, I'm not saying don't diet. Again, it's all about choice. These are just my two cents. 
three comparison really is the thief of joy i cannot tell you i don't i can't even count how many times i have spoken about this on this podcast and i think because for me this has been an ongoing area of growth since my teenage years but i guess and it does you know extend to all areas of life and it makes sense that it would extend to your relationship with food as well what is your body image what is it affected by a friend of mine reminded me about the uselessness of comparison this morning the reality that you might be comparing yourself to someone and that same person is comparing themselves to you we all do it so often look at someone else's life and compare ours to theirs and the despair that comes with that and the sadness, it really is gut-wrenching. Social media definitely doesn't help. And I'm not going to go on a tangent here where I talk about how bad social media is. Because like anything else, it has its pros and its cons. But what I can say is that it's open to us individually to determine how we deal with the thief of joy that is comparison. It's crazy that over the past 10 months, I've been off social media and I found it much easier not to be trapped in the hole of comparison. And honestly, you take from that what you want. I mean, it, it just could be a band-aid approach. But for now, it's working, at least on, as I, I try and create sustainable methods for me to deal with the thief of joy that is comparison. The thing about comparison is we always find something because no two people are the same in the context of weight i guess i can scroll through my instagram and wish i had the body of whoever say a certain influence i follow but the problem is like most things in life even if i get to be the same shape and the same weight i will always find something else in myself that i feel is less than in comparison to someone else it truly never ends four too much importance placed as a society we place too much importance on beauty as a source of happiness and i mean i don't have to say too much about this one i think anyone listening to this would agree that societal pressures contribute to body dissatisfaction taking a step further i think it's important to note the role of our families in the development of our self-image i mean growing up I remember being called horrible, which is an entrance slang for a fat person. And it was always said in a light-hearted way as an adult pinched pinched my cheeks. Um, so I know it wasn't said to make me feel any kind of weight, but it did. And it still does to a certain extent all these years later. Now, I think the Nigerian culture of insults as jokes needs to be examined, but that is not what this episode is for. I just use this as an example to illustrate again the importance of language, but also the importance of our external environments on the way we see ourselves. How do we create a culture that is not weight or shape preoccupied? How do we raise young girls so they do not see themselves and their worth as a reflection of their body image and their external appearance? It's a question that we've been asking for decades and I think in the era of social media, the increase in anxiety, depression, and especially eating disorders in adolescence, of all genders, all sexes, all ages, it's important that we take a closer look at the culture of food and its relationship to beauty. I mean, listening to the facilitator during the training, I just kept thinking of the conversation of eating disorders in the African context. What does that even look like? In the predominantly misogynistic lens of the Nigerian culture, what does it look like for a girl, a woman, to be defined outside her external appearance? The fifth thought is fat is not a feeling how many folks are listening to this and have said something along the lines of i feel fat 
Well, as I've recently been reminded, fat is not a feeling. When we say statements like, I feel fat, we, also, we often are alluding to the deeper emotions that we're experiencing. And more often than not, emo- these emotions and feelings are ones that we don't necessarily want to feel for whatever reason. Personally, I can say that a lot of the times when I say I feel fat, I am alluding to the sadness of the insecurities that are constantly rampaging my mind. Let me know if anyone can relate. I also know that depending on what's going on in my life, I have periods where my body dissatisfaction is higher than at other points. So I guess the goal is determining the underlying emotion and dealing with that. Yes, I can do the work of exercising and maybe I can lose all the weights. But if you think about it, if there is an underlying emotion that I'm not dealing with and processing, then even when I am quote unquote skinny and or quote unquote not fat, I would still have these feelings. It just would be about something else. My hair, my teeth, a physical representation of what I'm feeling, right? So what I'm saying, I guess, is there will be t- there will be times where you feel fat and what i'm saying is not to ignore those times but how how do we get to a point where we're actually able to process what we're feeling behind those statements a piece of advice from the training was in those moments when you do quote unquote feel fat write down something you love about yourself that is not body focused and i guess the idea is to switch your brain so that you are focusing on the positives and not the negatives. And a step further from that would be really processing what are the emotions behind those feelings. We exist in such a toxic cultural environment that a preoccupation with weight and shape is the rule and not the exception. What does it look like to have a relaxed and flexible relationship with food? One that is not weighed down by the pressures of society or the unreached unreachable expectations of beauty that we place on ourselves as a function of said society? How do we normalize all forms of being and existing? How do we create a culture that promotes these ideas? I honestly have more questions than answers. The relationship we form with food is one that is created very early on and is influenced by a host of external factors. It evolves over time based on these external factors, but also based on our own understanding of this relationship. It's one that I find myself constantly working on, and I'm very intrigued to see where this journey takes me in in the pursuit of creating a positive self-esteem that has nothing to do with my image. I will leave you with this one final thought. When you see a friend that you haven't seen in a while, do you ever find yourself saying something along the lines of, you look so good, have you got some weights? I'm definitely guilty of it. And while there is nothing wrong with that statement, have you ever wondered why weight is the only thing we ever truly congratulate someone for losing? Again, I can't take credit for this thought, but I thought it was an interesting one. So the question that was posed in the training was, how do we move from complimenting solely on physical appearance, in this case, weight? I hope you enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed recording. It's interesting, a few people have told me that I sounded much more comfortable on the last episode and I'm very intrigued to see what they say about how I sound on today's episode. Um, I'm just grateful to be able to have a space where I can come and share my thoughts. So shout out to all of you. How would you describe your relationship with food? That's the only question I have for you this week. Before I sign, sign out, special shout out to Esh the DJ for the intro and outro music. I appreciate you. Don't forget to follow, like, comment, subscribe, and all that other good stuff. Tell a friend, tell a friend. Send me a DM. I would love to hear from you.
for the next two weeks don't forget to be unapologetically intentional i love you all